All right, so we are back into the New Testament. So please do turn in your copy or in the Pew Bible in front of you. It's Luke chapter 17, and you can find it uh, there in the Pew Bible 876 is the page number, 876. Last week, we covered the opening 10 verses of Luke 17, and uh, I encourage you to go back uh, and listen. Uh, Definitely go back and read because Jesus is speaking there to his uh, disciples. Uh, Subsequently, he is speaking to us. God is still speaking uh, through his word. We talked about last week the challenge of that uh, portion, that uh, that collection of Jesus sayings there is that uh, our problem with Jesus' word, one of the commentators wrote, was that here we are too spineless to rebuke and too resentful to forgive. And Jesus requires of us both courage to rebuke and compassion to forgive. And I said last week, what we would desire, what we would long for is that we, uh, as a church body and you as, as, as people in the community and as a family, that we would be a people in a place that is sensitive to sin, but not closed to grace, sensitive to sin, but not closed to grace. It was the opening verses of this chapter where Jesus says, here's my commandment. Here is my uh, my exhortation to you that you would be a people who are obedient, uh, not, not just when it's convenient, uh, but even when it's really difficult, when you have to do things like uh, confront or you have to forgive someone who has offended you, hurt you. Jesus has many challenging things to say. In fact, it was Mark Twain. Uh, who once said, and he was notorious for his wit, he uh, once says that it wasn't uh, the parts of the Bible that I can't understand, that, that I cannot understand that bother me. It's the parts that I do understand. It is. It is the parts of the Bible that we understand with clarity that are oftentimes the most difficult, that step on our toes. Last week was definitely uh, one of them. And, and, yet, and yet, this is uh, our sword. Uh, a friend of mine this week, it, it was reaching in the back of my truck, and I said, yeah, please hand me my sword. And he looked at me a bit strange. Uh, and I, I said, yeah, my Bible. And he said, I've never heard it called that. Uh, the, the, the Bible, we're told, uh, in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12, is sharper than any double-edged sword. And it divides down to the place of marrow. It discerns our, our hearts, our thoughts Even at that very level, it is the word of God. Even as we're told by the Apostle Paul in Ephesians 6, when we take on and put on the armor of God, we we put off sin and we we take on and we put on the armor of God. And one piece of that armor is the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. Ephesians 6, 17. Well, I need the word of God. I know I need it desperately to define truth, uh, to discern my heart. Uh, to, uh, to, dis- to divide truth from error, to pierce my own heart with both law and gospel. Uh, the word of God, it does equip me uh, and you uh, as an instrument, as a tool to protect us from and to let us battle against the lies of the enemy, that we would have the truth of the promises of God, amongst other things. Even Jesus had to use the sword and did use the sword of the Spirit uh, to combat those lies and to press forward on a mission that involved suffering. 
We see it in each of the gospel accounts that Jesus does that. Uh, in this particular gospel account of Luke, there's a journey that Jesus is on. He is heading somewhere. He's not just randomly traveling and randomly healing and teaching. Uh, he has begun a public ministry that has a trajectory. And we discover what that is in chapter 9. In a very clear way, because it's right before the Mount of Transfiguration that Jesus is there in Luke chapter 9. And he says, the Son of Man must suffer. Didn't say he just must teach. He must come and set a good example. Uh, he must come and, and, and share love with small children and, and, uh, and kittens or something. No, it says that Jesus, the Son of Man, must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed. And on the third day, he may he be, he, he be raised. And he said to all, if anyone should come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily and follow me. So it's, it's the, the, the shadow, if you will, the cross is already casting uh, a shadow back this way uh, at this point in Jesus's journey towards Jerusalem. That's why he's talking of the cross. He knows where he is headed, and that is Jerusalem. Not to be crowned uh, king over Israel. Uh, it's to be, to be killed and crucified. That's what's in view. Well, let me invite you to stand as we read these verses. Hear this. This is God's word. Luke chapter 17. We'll begin verse 11. On the way to Jerusalem, he was passing along between Samaria and Galilee. And as he entered a village, he was met by ten lepers who stood at a distance and lifted up their voices, saying, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. When he saw them, he said to them, Go and show yourselves to the priest. And they went, and as they, as they went, they were cleansed. Then one of them, when he saw that he was healed, turned back, praising God with a loud voice, and he fell on his face at Jesus' feet, giving him thanks. Now he was a Samaritan. Verse 17, then Jesus answered, were not ten cleansed? Where are the nine? Was no one found to return and give praise to God except this foreigner? And he said to him, rise and go your faith, your way. Your faith has made you well. You may be seated. Let's ask God's help. Father, uh, we thank you that your word is not uh, mere inspiration uh, it is your voice. It is your means of speaking truth and love. Uh, we also know and we're grateful that it is a sword, that it is to us bread, that it is to us, if you, as you have revealed and shown true time and again, a light into our path. We ask that you'd bless it and even grant us faith right now and an openness to hear through Christ. Amen. What uh, blocks your ability to be content or to be grateful? What blocks your ability or my ability to be content or to be uh, grateful? Uh, you might say, well, it's very, it's very plain and simple. This is not a formula. I do not have what I want. When I have what I want, then I will be grateful and content. How does that formula work out? Young people... I'm seeing some older folks, not to call anyone particular, but I'm seeing some, some older folks nodding their heads. Young, fe young people, do you believe that? Students, do you believe that? That what's standing in the way, the only block between you and gratitude and contentment is getting what you want. 
I think even you doubt it. I think you're wise enough to know it's two days, let's say, two days after a big Christmas. And you thought to yourself, if I only had blank, which you did get. And here you are and, and we're not happy. We're, 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 almost, we're almost dumbfounded that we are not grateful and content with what we have. So this morning, what is it, right? This is a virtuous thing to be a, a people who express with words and in our hearts thanksgiving. But I want to go a little bit deeper. If you find the Bible at times difficult uh, to read, as I said earlier, uh, quoting Mark Twain, uh, it might be because it, you know, Jesus is stepping on your toes, that the truth of God and the challenge is there. But it might be that you're like me. There are times when I'm a bit impatient. It's not just that I'm offended, which can happen, but it's that I am or challenged. But it is that I am not patient. I want to hurry up. Let's just let's just get to it. Right. Let's 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 have this moment and let's 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 just get the message. Let's let's get the moral of the story and let's move on. Of course, it, it invites and we're encouraged and we really must, whether we like it or not, meditate at times, slow down with God's word as he is speaking to us. But hey, come on, just bring on, bring on the message. So what is it this week? Right. We just we just read verses 11 through nine. Let's let's quickly get there, Pastor. How about it? Ready? What's the moral of the story? Right. Here's the moral of the story. Nine out of ten people are not thankful. Don't be like them. Okay. let's make one at least of at least one of them vertical. Here's one that's vertical. Be like Jesus and love on marginalized people. Put your arm around an outcast today. There you go. It's a snowy day. I'm glad to wrap up now. Are you guys satisfied? There's the moral of the story. That's what we're going to go and try to do. You good? Anybody want to close this in prayer? What is the moral of the story? Well, my friends, that's the wrong question. That's the wrong question. The Bible is not merely a book of virtues. There is a bigger story that points beyond the morality of Jesus, it points beyond the lack of morality that we have. It illustrates that for sure. It points us to a story of reconciliation. It points us to the hope of a redeemer that drives much, much deeper to our heart need. Now, we read this and uh, it, there's a little bit of a disconnect. So I want to try to bridge that gap with a little bit of context to properly understand God's word. Uh, it, this is obviously interesting to Luke because, and this is the only account that is, this is the only uh, gospel that includes this account of Jesus performing this healing. I think it's partly because Luke was a physician. Luke, Luke had a unique appreciation for these types of things. Here is a group of 10 lepers. They're outcasts. Why are they outcasts? Because Jewish ceremonial law yeah, you can go and read it for yourself. In Leviticus 13 and Leviticus 14 uh, describes those who have a form of leprosy as, as unclean. Now, uh, another maybe good note to make as we bridge that gap is the fact that uh, leprosy then is not what we understand and know uh, as leprosy now. The, the nomenclature in, in medical terms is Hansen's disease. That's a leprosy that's a, a form of neuropathy. Uh, and and it, it is curable. Uh, th- this is referring to a leprosy in the Bible is actually referring to a, a larger scope of problems, uh, many of which would have been skin problems like a lupus or, or ringworm or, or something 
Boy, you're really having fun with this one, right? Yeah, I can, I can tell. Psoriasis, you know. This is, a, this is a form of a skin disease or a malady that was, was, was present. That's what they're oftentimes referring to as, as lepers, a larger uh, description. They have physical deformities of some sort. And if those symptoms didn't give itself away, the lepers, when they were in public, had a responsibility, according to ceremonial law, to walk about saying when they got into a public space, unclean, 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 so that no one else would be uh, supposedly corrupted uh, by that encounter. So here they are, right? It's, uh, it's 10 of them. They're a band of, uh, of friends. Miser- you know, misery loves company. Maybe that's the case. They're all together. One of them happens to be a Samaritan. Why is that important? What's the significance of that? Well, the Samaritan uh, is, is not a complimentary term. In their context, they would understand Samaritans to be that group that, uh, that broke off, that, you know, that intermarried. They're half-breeds. They're not truly Jewish people. And they, uh, because of their practices and, and preferences and so on and so forth, they too are considered unclean. But hey, look, we're all unclean, so they go ahead and include the Samaritan in with their fellowship and uh, they're a band of, of friends that travel around. It's, it's, it's dehumanizing to think about the level of isolation, though, right? To think about what they must have experienced. Because unlike a temporary ailment, this might have been a long-standing, lifelong ailment that put them away from family, friends, and the simple things of a public social life. They're alienated from normal life opportunities. Two things I think we see here. A disposition and a desperation. The disposition, uh, the good news uh, of Jesus' power, his mercy and his might must have reached these 10 lepers. They had some awareness. They had heard about uh, him, his capacity, uh, his mercy, his, his means of healing. And so in verse 12, it, it says there, we read in our text that they stood but they didn't come up to Jesus. They, they got in proximity to Jesus. They're curious. Uh, they're very interested. Uh, but they keep uh, their distance, which is, of course, of course, again, part of that unclean ceremonial law. Uh, and, and, and Jesus, by the way, is not unwilling to associate with lepers. Many would have been for uh, obvious reasons. Jesus in Luke 5, we're told, goes right up to a man who, who needs healing and who is a leper. And he touches him and makes him clean and whole, and he heals him. So Jesus is willing to touch them, but they, uh, the the ten initially, are all standing off. And even as they are being healed, they're still at at a distance. One of them has the the notion, they don't know anything about the, uh, the person of Jesus, but they know just enough about the power of Jesus that they're gonna call on him. So one of them, it's recorded here, says, why don't we give it a shot? Um, one of them shouts out, verse 13, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. Jesus tells them, verse 14, plain and simple, go show yourself to the priests. Now, why is that unique? I mean, their disposition is pretty cooperative at this point. They're like, okay, I, I, I can't imagine why we would go to see the priest. That's where we initially came from. It was the priest in that day. Uh, they were the, uh, for lack of better terms, the medical officers. Uh, they were the ones that were the public health officers that would examine people and discern. Um, they, could, they could see what you know, maladies people had. And sometimes they might have something to offer. But oftentimes, like in the case of leprosy, there is no cure. It's just the law. Here's the rules. 
You cannot associate. No, you're not going home to hug your children and your wife. You're done. You are now a leper. So you can imagine, why are we going back to the priest? I mean, if you thought it was an ordeal to go to the RMV in Massachusetts in the Commonwealth, boy, this is a whole other set of problems. And this is a complicated process. Arduous, painful. Verse 14, as they went, they were cleansed. Can you imagine? Can you, can you, you know, just try to fathom what that's like. You're walking on the road and maybe they notice one another or maybe they, I have more mobility. Look, your hair, it's growing back. My skin is soft again. The pain has eased up. Look, we're, we're healed. We're, we're, we're clean. Now, now they can go to the priest because the priest will say, yes, indeed, you are clean. And he would provide restoration. He would declare them as whole. Only one of them, and it is the Samaritan, says, you know what? The ceremonial, ritual, the obligation that's there, it can wait. But meeting Jesus... It cannot wait. And so he goes to Jesus. It's not that the others necessarily that we know uh, that they are ungrateful. I mean, after all, they, they came. They came and they got what they were, they were wanting. They got the mercy of, of Jesus. They're healed. They cried for that. He has shown it to them. They did not cry, though, for grace. They did not cry for forgiveness they did not cry out to know God, they, they, but they did get something. And we don't uh, have to assume that they weren't grateful. But there was still yet something missing, obviously. Jesus is curious about that. So was Gene Wilder and Willy Wonka in the Chocolate Factory. Now that some of you have woken up, I'll go ahead and use this illustration. Remember in Willy Wonka in the Chocolate Factory, right? Everyone's promised the lifetime supply with chocolate and an opportunity to tour the Chocolate Factory. Of course, there's that twist that we all know about where they're all going to grab an everlasting gobstopper. Of course, there's another twist. They're all a little bit disappointed at the end. We've all found out about who they really are and all their obstinance and impatience and entitlement. And we, we discover the character. Of course, the little Charlie has got a more noble character. And it's revealed. It's revealed because he returns. And he says, Mr. Wonka, you can have this back. That's it, Charlie. That's it. That's it. It's all yours now. Again, in our, our passage here, there's something, but there's something more. There's something of, of greater, more, beyond what we can imagine, the grandeur of it all. And again, we see this, this disposition and a desperation. The disposition can always reside at the level of, of, of politeness, right? Of Gratitude at that level. But the Samaritan knows that he has to thank God. Right? That's what Jesus is questioning. The, the other ten, were they cleansed? Did they not uh, need to go and thank God? Well, you could argue, yeah, well, that's why we were going to the priest, right? You told us to go to the priest. But the Samaritan says, no, I want to meet Jesus and thank this man. I, I, I know I'm going to go thank God and I need to thank God. But first, I want to go meet this great man and thank him. But it isn't a glorious thing. That the Samaritan meets both. 
which he didn't anticipate. Because when he met Jesus, he met God. And he's grateful. He's overwhelmed. Naturally, what does he do? Well, verse 16 says that he fell on his face. He's overcome. He's overwhelmed with, with awe and reverence and, 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 and the holiness of Jesus. He, he actually sees the gift giver in the gift. And that's where I think we see a sense of, of desperation at this moment. It comes deep from, from a heart of faith. Jesus sees something in the Samaritan deep in his heart that isn't just a polite disposition. It's a desperation, a hopeless trust that is bringing forth praise to God. He hears in this man who once had leprosy, he was a Samaritan, praise and worship coming from a heart of faith. And I want us to see it, okay? I want us to notice in those last three verses, 17, 18, and 19, what does Jesus do? What does Jesus not do as well? What, what happens? What transpires? Notice he doesn't say when he falls on his face, Jesus doesn't say, what did, get the, hold on now just a second. This is over the top. Get up. Stand up. You know, I'm not God. And you're doing blasphemy because I'm not God. So come on. I, thank, I appreciate it, you know. But, uh, you know, I'm not God. He doesn't say you're mistaken. Only God can heal and, you know, and forgive. So, you know, stand up. No. He is saying... You're, you're, you're all of these things restored and you are, you're allowed to worship. Jesus doesn't deny the, pra, the praise or the gratitude, either one of those. It makes me think of a story. When I was probably somewhere around first, second grade, and we had a large deck on the back of our house. And uh, it was probably Saturday afternoon. It was my birthday party. And uh, the kids from the neighborhood were over and we, we had our games and we had our cake. My mom probably was cutting the cake and the, the gifts are there. And they said, oh, but there's one more gift. And uh, lo and behold, my neighbor, uh, Mr. Walters, came walking up the back steps of the deck. And in his hands was a brand spanking new bike. And I thought, Mr. Walters. It wasn't from him. It was from my parents. Um, but, but he just, my, my, my dad's, you know, probably got the camera. My mom's trying to figure out where the napkins are for the cake and, and putting away the wrapping. And, and, and I, just, I just immediately assumed that it was Mr. Walters. You're such a generous guy. This is, a, I'm speechless. I, you know, I was overwhelmed. And, and I don't even know if my parents tried to correct me in, in the moment. Uh, but they're like, no, no. He was like, it's, it's actually from your parents. And Jesus comes and he brings life and healing. And he says, yes, it's from me. Yes. Yes, worship. Experience the joy, the joy of this moment. That God would be glorified. And that your heart is grateful. Amen. No, but go a step further. Verse 19, he says, get up. Your faith has made you well. Your faith has made you well. Stand up. That original word in the Greek uh, to make well has made you well uh, can also be translated. Your faith has saved you. It's the same Greek word that's back in Luke chapter seven, which makes me think it's even a better uh, translation is to say saved because it was there in Luke seven that a woman from the city who was a sinner, who was notoriously known, came and wiped Jesus feet with her perfume and her tears 
And he forgives her her sin. He says, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Same word. So here, this man, yes, a man with leprosy, was physically healed. And he was relieved from the alienation that this leprous disease had brought on. But can you imagine, I mean, the joy and the relief to be reunited with, to have that first meal again to sit down with family when you're no longer deemed unclean. What a gift. Their disposition for the rest of the guys might have been joy. It may have been gratitude, obviously. They may have been pleasantly surprised. And that's true, by the way. No one comes to Jesus. It's never recorded. And no one can testify with eyes of faith that people go to Jesus asking for mercy. And they're never, they're never denied that mercy. Jesus is merciful. But this story and this encounter reveals that people who come very close to Jesus get so much more than they ever imagined. There's plenty of people, even in the church, even people who were students of the Bible, who stay at a distance from Jesus, but it's those who get close to him, who draw near to him, who get far more than they ever imagined. That's what's, I think, illustrated here in part. But wait, there's more. Sure, he has this experience of a, of a, of a moral. There's not only a physical problem that was part of his disease that has now freed him, being, being healed and clean to be in contact with others. He's no longer isolated in that regard. He's also experiencing a moral and spiritual reconciliation with God that his sin caused. Yet the leprosy, yes, the leprosy isolated him and them from people, but so much more sin isolates him and them and all of us from God, our holy God. And yet, and yet the Samaritan is different than the rest because, and, and Luke is great because any, any great storyteller always gives you the angles, right? That, that's what distinguishes people in writing and in producing television producers or movie producers, they give you that, that perfect angle, right? There's almost maybe, maybe there's, a, there's something in the background where there's, there's a, a, a scene, there's a flashback or something that helps to bring the story together and it pulls you in. And I love it. I love the fact that in this story, that at the beginning, they're all the same in, the, in regard to being unclean, crying out for mercy, and they're all standing off. And some of them are healed and they leave and they're still standing far off. But not so with this Samaritan by faith. He began far off. And here at the close, he's near to Jesus. He's there at the feet of Jesus. So here's my encouragement to you. For us, if we were to take this deeper than just a, a, a manufactured Gratitude, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. If we were to press deeper, I think it would look like this. To draw close and to draw to mind. Here's what I mean. Uh, To draw close to Jesus. Or in some cases for you today, maybe it's draw closer to Jesus. Draw to Jesus. Come to him for the first time or come to him for the thousandth time. But draw closer to Jesus. Let's not try to conjure up a disposition of gratitude and good deeds. Let's go with fresh faith and, and wonder and awe and worship at the feet of Jesus who has been so merciful to save us 
Repent of your sins. Uh, repent of even your, your, your good deeds that you imagine somehow uh, puff you up or give you some presumption on how to deal with God. And set it all aside. Repent of how you've wanted the gift and not wanted a relationship with the gift giver. Maybe that's an area. Fall by faith at the feet of Jesus crying for desperation, for mercy. Our greatest need is not the mercy of Jesus, but the person of Jesus. Our greatest need is the person of Jesus who himself, who made himself dirty, unclean, came in contact with leprosy so that by his wounds, we might be healed, as the prophet foretold. Not just our external maladies someday, but now, here, our sin. God is not moved by our intentions or our emotions. He's moved by our desperation, our surrender to his appeal. So cry to Jesus, Lord, I I thought I needed deliverance from pain. It might sound like this. I thought I needed deliverance from pain, but what I need deliverance from is sin and, and death. It might sound like, Lord, I, I thought I needed stability. Maybe you did, but I need stability and so much more. I need salvation. Romans 6 tells us, Romans six twenty three: the wages of sin is death. And so that, that, that only makes sense that the, the, all the people in the Bible who were healed, who maybe experienced a, a, another degree of longevity in life, even Lazarus, who was raised from the dead, one day himself died. The wages of sin is death. It's the Apostle Paul in Ephesians 2 that brings this imagery of our, of our isolation and our problem deeper than, than a skin disease. And the means by which we're reconciled to God here together. This is what Paul says, Ephesians 2.12. Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now, that would be all bad news, but now in Christ Jesus, you, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. We have peace with God. Praise be to God. The second thing I would say, so draw, draw close to, to Jesus. The second thing I would say is draw to mind, and this is, a, this is not a passive thing, okay? This might even involve a journal. This might involve you listening to something or picking up a pencil. I don't know, but... I would challenge you to draw to mind the reasons that we have for gratitude. Maybe that's not the beginning of your prayer. Maybe the beginning of your prayer. I don't know what it needs. It doesn't matter. But somewhere in the midst of all that, the discipline of incorporating gratitude into our story. Consider all the ways that God has provided for you and for me. The stability, the hope, friends, seasons, simple blessings, our daily bread. Music, creation, recreation, the handiwork of creation, the artwork of people made in the image of God. 
relationships. His invisible graces and mercies, those angels, those ministering spirits that even now are very much present, though we cannot see them. The fact that we have any experience of love in our hearts so distinct from anything else in all of God's creation. Thanks be to him. Thanks be to him. But maybe you're in the valley. Maybe you're in a season of melancholy and depression. I'm familiar with that. Maybe things are dark and heavy. There's sour circumstances that seem so hard. It, it seems almost altogether impossible to go and engage in that activity of thanking God. I understand that. But I still think you can put this into application. Because you at the very least could go and take a step of faith and see the testimonies in Scripture where God has worked in other people's lives. Bringing deliverance and hope and joy and gratitude. You and I can stand in awe. Even if we can in our own circumstances, in our own context, we can stand in awe about what God has done for others. What God is doing, is, is present tense, doing for others. Not, not, not with jealousy, but with joy. Look at what God's doing. Man, I, I, I get a front row seat to it, I feel like. It's all the more shame on me if I'm not grateful. That's for sure. It's one of the reasons I absolutely love community group. We have a community group at our house on Sunday night. And it's, it's a fun time. It's a little crazy, but there's still room. So come if you're not. Because you'll hear some stories about what God's doing in people's Lives. Some of you know what I'm talking about. Stand in awe of how God has clearly worked. I'll give you one other example. There is uh, the one that I discovered recently. It's called Unfolding Stories Podcast. Not to be confused with Grace Unfolding, which is our podcast, which is going to be a really good episode this week. Uh, be on the lookout because we're going to interview Chris and Christine Cohn. But I'm talking about stories of how God worked through depression, how God worked through addiction and sorrow and grief and sin and, and all kinds of things. This is a, a podcast. You can find it at Tyndall uh, Publishing, Publishing House put together. Uh, it's called the Unfolding Stories Podcast, and you can find it, I think, only on iTunes. Friends, let me just close with one more point of desperation in Scripture that I love. Jesus, as with his disciples, give me like 15 seconds. That's all I need. Jesus is with his disciples and it's Luke chapter eight. They're in a boat. They're in the midst of a storm. And he stands up, Jesus does, and he simply, they're desperate, okay? Because they think they're gonna die. And Jesus is doing, of all things, nap time. So what do they do? Jesus they, they, try to, they try to rebuke Jesus. Doesn't matter where you're going, always a bad starting place. Um, they decide to, Jesus, don't you care? We're going to die. This is what it says, Luke 8. Jesus said to them, where is your faith? And they were afraid and they marveled saying to one another, who then is this 
that he commands even the wind and the water and they obey him. Who is this? Who is this? And I, I want that awe. It was the Anglican poet George Herbert who wrote, O thou who has given us so much, mercifully grant us one more thing. A grateful heart. Thou who has given us so much, mercifully grant us one more thing. A grateful heart. Lord, we are grateful. And yet we want to grow in that. Lord, we are are struggling. There are people today struggling to believe. I know. I, I pray that you would have mercy. That you would grant faith. Father, I pray that you'd forgive us our sin, especially the one who speaks, for they are many. Teach us, Lord. Humble us, we pray. And not for our own self-improvement and our reputation, but for the good of other people and for the glory of you, our God. There are many who are right now crying for mercy, even in our own church community, for, for jobs, for, for relationships, for, for their health, for deep struggles with temptation, trials that have people grieving in the midst of transition. Lord, help us to walk faithfully, prayerfully, humbly with these people and meet them, Lord. Show them mercy. Lord, we pray for missionaries. They're separated because they want to bring people to you. They're separated at times from loved ones. And we thank you for those who are ministering to college students. And we pray especially for Colin and Zuri. They long to see people on the campus in West Africa come to faith and others in their community. We pray your blessing on them and their church and their desire, Lord, to be parents. Provide for them. Have mercy. Protect them. Lord, we thank you for the partnership that we have in the gospel with other churches in this area that faithfully proclaim the good news of the gospel. I thank you, God, for Faith Community in Plymouth and Pastor Stan Cushing. They're in, a, they're in a unique challenge, Lord. They're trying to be faithful to your word and separate from their denomination. And I ask that you would sustain them and encourage them, that you would guide them in their desire to be faithful and winsome and loving in that process. Lord, we pray for our brothers and sisters who struggle in other parts with other parts of the world with intense persecution and opposition. We have so much to be grateful for, Lord. We forget that there are people who had to meet in a house church today and they had to sneak in because they're fearful of their employer or some government official or family member seeing them. Lord, have mercy on our brothers and sisters, the church in Yemen and Iran and Pakistan and Afghanistan. Somalia. Lord, hear us as we pray. And yes, once again, I pray you would give us a grateful heart, especially as we come to this table for Christ's sake. And in his name, and as he taught his disciples to pray, saying together, 